hey, uh, I hit 200 miles on my bike this week. That's so exciting. And I've only been in one crash. Nah, but don't tell my mom about that. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whenever it is you're listening. This is Love Speaks for Monday, October 23rd, 2023. It's the 29th week in Ordinary Time. Sorry I missed last week. I I wasn't feeling that well again. I don't know. Maybe it's allergies, something going on here. Washington, everyone seems to be allergized up. I don't know. Maybe I'm allergic to the politics that's in the air. Who's to say? Anyway, feeling better and uh, glad to be back we have um, some housekeeping things. Kind of exciting. First of all, uh, Love Speaks, the podcast, is now on the FIO app, FIO app, F-I-O, a newer app just launched by some kind of creative Catholic entrepreneurs and developers who have created an app that is um, a streaming platform for exclusively Catholic content. And they're starting with podcasts. So it's really filling up like fast with a lot of podcasts that you have um, heard about before. So uh, I'll put the link in the show notes, but the link is streamfio, S-T-R-E-A-M-F-I-O.com, streamfio.com. And um, there's a ton of podcasts on there already, a lot that you have heard of. Um, Pints of the Aquinas is on there. Ascension Presents is on there. Mike Schmidt's Bible in a Year is on there. Um, Catholic Answers is on there. Sister Miriam and her friends on Abiding Together are on there. Father Ryguy and uh, Love Speaks are on there. But lots of other ones, too, that um, you, you probably haven't heard of and might actually be helpful to you. So um, there's some new podcasts out there that are doing sort of what the Hallow app is doing in terms of daily devotions or giving access, audio access to different um uh, books, uh, audiobooks, and stuff. So check that out, streamfio.com, F-S-T-R-E-A-M-F-I-O.com. Um, and you can find that in the App Store too, the Apple or Android App Store, um, if you're looking for something along those lines. But I'm happy that Love Speaks will be able to hopefully um, have more of a reach there. I'm sitting this time in a chair in the corner of my room, uh, it's a it's a big recliner actually. It was kind of here already, and that's not true. I lied. It was next door, and the the room next door was vacant for like a long time, and so I went in there one day because you know you're scoping things out, and I found this awesome awesome leather recliner, uh, and I stole it. I totally stole it, and like three days later, somebody moved in to the room next door and one day he came by my room just to ask me about something else and he said whoa nice chair which I had a chair like that (laughs) and I had to I had to say yeah well you almost did anyway so I'm sitting there I don't know if you can hear me I'm trying not to move around too much Um, it's a very comfortable spot but it's also kind of like a like a creaky chair so I don't know I'm hoping that it it doesn't cause too much of a disruption and if it does then I'll go back to my desk next week but uh, I'm in a delightful position And I hope you're in a delightful position as well. Hope you're joining me for some coffee this afternoon. So it's Sunday when I'm recording this. And uh, Sunday, the 22nd of October, of course, is um, the feast day of St. John Paul II. 
and he was elected pope on October 16th, 1978, um, but he was installed or inaugurated, I guess, as the Holy Father. His ministry, Petrine ministry, began on October 22nd. So that's why they picked that day for his feast. You know that October 16th is already filled with feast days. Uh, it's St. Hedwig, which is kind of a fun saint, but also it's uh, St. Margaret Mary, who I love very much, and her devotion to Sacred Heart. So October 22nd was chosen as his feast day. And um, I'm just thinking today a lot about, you know, uh, he has a lot of great quotes, do not be afraid, of course. But um, my all-time really favorite quote from him is, uh, he, he gave it in Vergata, Tor Vergata, on a p- apostolic visit there in the year 2000. And he, he said these famous words, It's Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness. He is waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It is he who provokes you with the thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It is he who urges you to shed the mask of a false life. It is he who reads in your hearts your most genuine choices. It is Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your life, the will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourselves to be grounded down by mediocrity, the courage to commit yourselves humbly and patiently to improving yourselves and society, to make the world more human and fraternal. And then he says, Dear young people, in these noble undertakings, you are not alone. I love that so much. It's Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness, and he is waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. And, and how often has that been true for you? It's certainly been true for me every single time. Uh, it's the tendency, isn't it, to wander. I go astray. We wander, and then we wonder why we're unhappy, and then we say, oh yeah, <laughs> I've gone away from the source of happiness, and I go back to him, and I, I realize, yes, he's always been there this whole time. He has always been there. Um, I was talking with someone earlier today who was kind of sharing just some difficulties of being a little bit older uh, than they thought they would be and still single, still alone. And what came to my mind right away was, you know, it's not pious gobbledygook to say, you're not alone. You've never lived alone. You've never traveled alone. You've never walked alone. Um, And so much of our trouble comes from believing the lie that we are alone, that we have no one to walk with us or to be with us. And I'm not a huge fan of the footsteps poem. You know, it's, uh, it's then that I carried you that that poem. I'm not a big fan of it. But um, there's a reason that it's so appealing to, to a lot of people. And that's because it speaks to this reality that it's Jesus who waits for me, who walks with me, even sometimes who carries me when I, when I don't even realize it. He is the beauty to which I'm attracted. It is he who provokes within me the thirst for fullness that will not let me settle for compromise in my life. So um, we just ask for the intercession today of John Paul II that he would continue to pray for us and for the church, especially the church as she goes through the synod process happening now in Rome. Um, Some of you have asked me my opinions on the Synod. You'll notice that I've been kind of conspicuously silent on the topic of the Synod, especially here uh, on the podcast and in in writing and preaching because, um, well, it's not because I don't have any opinions on the Synod. 
It's just that I think sometimes we should wait and see um, how certain things play out because the social media sort of internet age, which, which desires us so deeply for its own exist, existence and survival, social media requires us to catastrophize everything for it to continue surviving. So I'm trying not to do that, and I just want to see how it plays out. But I think like a lot of people, there are some genuine questions that could be asked about the Synod. So I want to make sure that we're praying for that, and we ask for the intercession of John Paul II uh, on that endeavor as well and just make sure that it is in fact jesus that the church continues to seek and that the people leading the church which includes of course the bishops and priests but also the lay people who i think it's a good thing that they're involved in this process and in this way um but that we remain faithful to the church as as christ established it so um and we just ask for the intercession of john paul ii for an increase in vocations to the priesthood religious life and holy marriage as well that we would have the courage to be uh, courageous, <laughs> courage to be courageous, uh, in saying yes, casting out into the deep, we would not be afraid. We would go out and really listen to what it is that the Father is asking us to do. All right, that's the second thing. Number three is, some of you have noticed, that um, this week I finally launched my Substack. Substack is um, an online platform, a content platform, that allows you to post anything you want, really, but it specializes in longer form content, um, especially writing. So um, I've really been looking for a place that I could share, in addition to the Monday newsletter, some more kind of in-depth thinking and writing that I've been doing. And a lot of you have said, oh, you should write a book. I I would love to write a book, but I have to start small. (laughs) You can't just sit down and write a book. So um, I I would love to be able to kind of have a place where I can flesh out some ideas and give a more extended, I'm not saying academic, although maybe sometimes, but I I want a place where I can think and write seriously in a long form way. um, That is not the Monday newsletter. I want that to be more personal and more kind of an update on things that I find interesting in the church or in my own life or things that maybe you'll be edified by. Um, whereas Substack, I would really like to be a more th- kind of long-form, thoughtful place. So um, my Substack is called Pilgrim's Prologue, and I will put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, and you can sign up for that. You can sign up for it as a free subscriber or as a paid subscriber. Um, basically, you know, it, it helps that we're committed to each other, right? I'm committed to you because you've invested in it and you're committed to me because you've invested in it. And so we're going to kind of, you know, do it together. So that's what I'm going to try to do. Substack is great too, because you can host videos there. You can host audio content there. Um, So there will be things like that for the paid subscribers who are interested, sometimes videos that go along with posts, and also there'll be complete access to the whole archive. So if you're a free subscriber, you'll have access to only the last four weeks worth of the content, but the paid subscribers will have access to everything forever. So anyway, just a little plug there. That will be in the show notes as well, pilgrimsprologue.substack.com. All right, I want to turn to the readings I think you'll find the readings this week particularly interesting. I hope that you had a chance to go to Mass. Um, 
and listen to them and um, hopefully are kind of beginning to change your own mass preparation technique throughout the week and reading the readings perhaps before you get to Sunday Mass so that when you're hearing them, you could be able to really listen to them as and in a deep way and not just hear them for the first time and let them go in one ear and out the other. So this week, 29th Sunday in Ordinary Time, we have the Gospel from the 22nd chapter of Matthew 15 to 21, Matthew 22, 15 to 21, which is the section with the Pharisees and Jesus, where the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus in a question about taxes, and Jesus gives his famous line, repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. So the the whole passage is this. The Pharisees went off and plotted how they might entrap Jesus in speech. They sent their disciples to him with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are a truthful man, and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth, and you are not concerned with anyone's opinion, for you do not regard a person's status. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Knowing their malice, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that pays the census tax. Then they handed him the Roman coin. He said to them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? They replied, Caesar's. At that he said to them, Then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The words of the Holy Gospel, may our sins be wiped away. So that's a that's a very famous passage. And um, render to God what belongs to God and give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. That's a, a commonly used phrase. It's uh, the title of any number of, of books and articles on the topic of the relationship between faith and public life or um, yeah, religious practice and relationship or patriotism. Uh, relationship to the state. It's so many, you, you see it a lot. And you see a lot too, um, people who pay the same kind of lip service to Jesus that the Pharisees do. And everything that they say is true. Isn't that interesting? You're a truthful man. You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You're not concerned with anyone's opinion, for you do not regard a person's status. All that's true. And it's clear that they are not being sincere. They're trying to deceive him. They're trying to flatter him in a way. And uh, they're used to that working with people. And, of course, Jesus knows what is sincere and what is not. He knows people's hearts. It says, knowing their malice, Jesus says to them. You know, and he goes on, why are you testing me? Just give me the coin that pays the census tax. And he uses the coin itself to teach them a lesson. Whose image is this and whose inscription Whose image is this and whose inscription? They reply, Caesar. At that he says to them, Repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. Now, um, I don't know. Is that satisfying? It seems to be, to us anyway, because it makes sense, right? Uh, In America, anyway, we've always had that separation. It's part of our fabric that Caesar and the church are not the same entity Remember, everyone, that freedom of religion or the separation of church and state in the United States is not 
saying that, oh, there's no room for religion in the public square. Uh, to this day, Congress has, a, has someone offer the prayer before their session. This week, in fact, one of the priests of the Diocese of Joliet will be leading the prayer um, for the House of Representatives uh, here at the Capitol. Not me. Uh, one of my brother priests will be in town for that. And that's exciting. So it's not to say that there isn't, there's never been any room for it. it it's, of course, that, that the state and that the church will not be one in the same as they are in other places. In Europe, for example, you have the Church of England, the Church of Denmark, the Church of Scotland. Um, and you won't have the reality that you have in Germany, which is where you pay your tax, taxes to the state and then um, you check wh- where you want your church tax to go, to the Lutherans or to the Catholics. And that's the way that the church makes its money in, in Germany. We don't have that here. And it's probably good that we don't have that here. So this seems like a logical separation to us. And in some ways, because of who they were paying taxes to in ancient uh, times, you know, they were paying taxes to a foreign power. It's not like uh, the taxes were going to the Jews. No, the, the taxes are being paid by the Jews to a foreign power, namely Caesar in Rome. And you had Jews who were signed up, like Matthew was, to, to be tax collectors and essentially uh, extort their fellow people for the purpose of getting uh, the taxes, right? And that, that Rome would hire local people uh, to collect money for itself, and that would make it people upset, obviously. They saw the tax collectors as sellouts or traitors um, to their own people because they decided to not only um, serve the empire in this way, but... but you know, serve it in a way that often could benefit them in the long run, extorting your fellow citizens. So the whole tax thing was as complicated and frustrating then uh, as it is now. But the the question that I want to ask now is not so much, oh, does that make sense to us? But rather, like, what is actually the vision there? What is actually the vision there? Because if we talk about Jesus as being the kingdom of God himself, the Alto Basileon, as we've talked about before, if we talk about that part of it, the fullness of God, he's the sovereign power over all the earth, he is, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand, the whole uh, kind of theme behind Matthew's gospel is the proclamation of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus has come to do, right? Repent and believe for the kingdom is at hand. Um, we believe that the kingdom is is already here, not yet fulfilled. We pray for the fullness of the kingdom, uh, where God and his kind of sovereignty is finally recognized and established, and that the lordship of Christ, the kingship of Christ, that he can reign over all. Um, what are we doing looking at the state? What, 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 what's the vision for that? And to, to look at that, we have to go back to the first reading. The first reading this week was from Isaiah. I'm going to move the microphone over, sorry. <clears throat> uh, from Isaiah 45. The, the, uh, Isaiah 45. I don't, I, the lectionary, you guys. It drives me crazy. Where are verses 2 and 3? <sighs> anyway, the reading is from Isaiah 45, verse 1 and 4 through 6. Where are verses 2 and 3? Okay, rant over, sorry. Thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I grasp, subduing nations before him, making kings run in his service, opening doors before him, leaving the gates unbarred. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen one, I have called you by your name. 
giving you a title, though you knew me not. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. It is I who arm you, though you knew me not, so that toward the rising and the setting of the sun, people may know that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. So Isaiah is one of the prophets, sorry, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Isaiah is one of the prophets of the exile, right, to Babylon, right? He warns them it's going to happen, then it happens. Jeremiah is writing during the exile. Ezekiel is writing during the exile. And to all of these prophets, Jeremiah in particular, who are kind of not only warning about what will happen in Jerusalem uh, if they continue on their ways of infidelity, but then once Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar invade Jerusalem, they take Jerusalem captive, they send off the Jews into exile in Babylon, um, the kingdom falls apart, and then you know, there's the warnings leading up to that moment. But then as, almost as soon as that moment happens, then God starts to speak to the prophets and say, you know, plant your vines in these places and flourish in these places because um, this is your life for 70 years, right? This is your life for the time being. And then he begins to send messages to the prophets saying, lo, I will rescue you. I will bring you back. I will restore the kingdom. I will make... Um, Jerusalem, the center of your life again. And the sad part, of course, is that that those who were taken captive at the very beginning did not live to see that moment, um, but their ancestors did. And so um, you have the defeat eventually. I mean, Babylon is this massive kind of force at this time. Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, the Babylonian kings, Nebuchadnezzar, these are powerful, powerful people with a very powerful military, a conquest, um, thirst for conquest, I guess, and um, they eventually are defeated. And they're defeated by the Persians. They're defeated by the Persians. And the king of the Persians is a guy named King Cyrus. And it's Cyrus who, once he captures Babylon, sees like, oh, you people are not Babylonians. Here you, you're the Jews from Jerusalem. Okay, well, get out of here. And Cyrus is the one who grants freedom to the Jews who are in exile in Babylon. And when we hear, thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, in the first part of the reading from Isaiah 45, we're talking about King Cyrus, the Persian. And Cyrus, of course, is not a Jew. Cyrus is, um, uh, well, whatever the Persian religion was, I guess. Um, he was, from the outside, he doesn't know the Lord. And Isaiah writes that two or three times, right? I called you by your name. I gave you a title, though you knew me not. But isn't that fascinating? Um, what the Lord is speaking about Cyrus. He calls him the anointed one, the Christ, huh? the Mashiach, the Messiah. Cyrus is a kind of figure of the Messiah. That's fascinating, number one. But the Lord says to him, I'm grasping your right hand, your power to overthrow Babylon, to subdue nations before you. I'm doing that for you. The reason that kings of other places are bowing down before you, opening doors before you, leaving gates unlocked before you, is because I'm doing that for you. But I'm not doing it so that you can have unfettered, um, unfettered rule over the entire world. I'm doing it as a sign of my own covenant. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen one, I have called you, Cyrus, by your name. 
giving you a title, although you knew me not. I am the Lord and there is no other. It is I, the Lord, who arm you, Cyrus, though you knew me not. So that toward the rising and setting of the sun, people may know that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. So you have... Um, that's just fascinating to me. Because... We think of the Messiah as someone coming from the line of David. And obviously Cyrus, you know, we don't have Cyrus on a cross in all of our bedrooms, right? So obviously Cyrus is not the anointed one um, in terms of what we're actually looking for. But, he, but God is using this figure from a faraway land to show pity to his own people as a sign of his own kind of remembrance of his covenant. And then um, using the power of that earthly kingdom kingdom of Persia, to set free his own people. So let's return to our question then and just ask, like, what is the point of, of not the point, but what is one of the points of leadership? We render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. Well, in the olden days, you know, we talked about the divine right of kings, that kings and queens ruled by a kind of divine right. You see this somewhat actually in uh, the Pope, right? We say, oh, we believe that this person has been chosen for this role in a kind of divine way, that God was at work in the cardinals, in the conclave, and not that God stuck his finger out and illuminated the head of Francis sitting in the Sistine Chapel and like in a Monty Python voice, you know, Francis, Francis. That's not what it means. But it is to say that there is a connection, right? The medieval kings and queens saw themselves this way and even going back um, much, much further than that, that there is a kind of divinity attached to, to royalty to kingdoms, and you see this even in Rome, that Kaiser, Kyrios, right, that was the cry, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord, that the, the Roman emperors often saw themselves as divinities, or the sons of divinities, or the, the offspring, or spouses sometimes of divinities, but it was very well regarded in, the, in Roman times that the emperor himself was divine. Not that he was appointed by divine right that started that way, but then it eventually morphed into, no, the, 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 the emperor is a son of God, is divine. You see this with the pharaohs. You see this um, in a lot of the ancient cultures. But why, why, why? What's the connection there? And, and what could we be called to see? Well, the one thing to say is simply that, that you have leaders at every level who are called to make life bearable here uh, on earth. But they're also called to make people virtuous. They're called to make cultures, kingdoms, societies, to make them virtuous, to make them holy, um, to prepare, in a sense, for residency in the kingdom to come. And a leader who does not understand not only that his or her leadership will end, but that one day his or her kingdom will go away, is passing away, even now as they try to lead it. And too often you get leaders who get power hungry, they're leading for the wrong reasons. I don't need to go into all of that, right? 
but you have leaders who are leading in that with that perspective and it's not working out very well because all of the eggs are being placed in the basket of this world but what happens when the favor of the world turns against you especially in a democracy like ours right um poof you're gone that's it look at france for example uh king louis the 16th beheaded <laughs> Just like that. And that's a longer story than that, right? But then within a century, really within almost half of a century, 50 years or so, a little bit longer than that, France has a king again, you know? So the 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 once extremely popular um, kind of anti-royalist sentiment is gone. And people want a king again. The people who want a monarchy, um, they are now in power. And then you know, that leads to all kinds of things, and then that goes away, and now it comes back, and then it goes away. But the point is that anybody who thinks like, ah, I am the definitive ruler, I am the definitive king of kings, like, they should not really be in power. This is why we always say that those who want to be bishops, those priests who say, yeah, I'd love to be a bishop, make me a bishop, would probably be the worst bishops ever, um, because they it goes straight to their to their heads, and they forget exactly what they're doing and who they are serving. But instead, the church holds up different uh, models um, as saints, different people who were royalty and also became saints. St. Louis of France, of course, is one. Um, St. Stephen of Hungary uh, is another one. Um, There's a ton. Just Google it, by the way. There's a ton, a big list there, right? But you have Margaret of Scotland, you have uh, Leopold III. Yesterday, Saturday, I think, was the Feast of Blessed Karl of Austria. Um, the Queen of Poland, St. Jadwiga of Poland. The, 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 that would be St. Hedwig, of course, so her St. Feast Day. Uh, October 16th, as I've said. Henry II, the Holy Roman Emperor. Um, Ferdinand of Castilla. Castile, he's in Spain. I'm reading a list now on Wikipedia. Eric of Sweden, Edward the Confessor in England, Edward the Martyr. Um, you have these people who are held up, and not to say, oh, they never made a mistake, right? So let's go into their leadership record and say, oh, he did this wrong and he did that wrong, and you know he was living in 800, and so we're going to forget about that, and he was a warmonger, despite the fact that there was a different attitude towards all of that back then. So... We're not looking at it from that perspective, but you look at them, and there's tons of stories of these people, of them giving away their whole riches, giving away all their belongings, giving away all of their possessions, opening hospitals, serving the poor themselves, getting out and about and knowing people and reaching out for them, supporting the church, establishing dioceses, um, helping bishops you know, be successful in the propagation and teaching of the faith, etc., because they, they recognize, oh, the kingdom is not about me. The kingdom is not about me. I might be Caesar, but it's not actually all about me. And that any leadership that I have has been given to me. That this task has been given to me temporarily, and I'm called to safeguard something that isn't mine. I'm called to keep safe something that isn't mine. I'm not called to remake the entire culture or worldview in my own image. That's the difficulty of democracy, by the way. And this is not an anti-democracy podcast, so don't report me. But um, that's the difficulty of it, right? That a, a country like ours, you see, we have whiplash all the time, just based on who's in charge and whose vision is the loudest or who the media supports. That's true of any government system about the media. But um, 
that's why I think it's so important to understand this first reading about Cyrus. Because Cyrus, yeah, I mean, Cyrus was like kind of a, a BA. I mean, he was the king of Persia. Persia conquered like all kinds of things. And Cyrus was incredibly successful in a worldly sense. But here you have the Lord revealing through Isaiah that all of the power that Cyrus has has come because the Lord has taken Cyrus's hand, even though Cyrus didn't know the Lord and made him successful. And the Lord made Cyrus successful, so for the sake of his servant Jacob, of Israel, his chosen one, so that his chosen people could be free. So that his chosen people could be free. And then in Christ, we see that the, the, the choosing goes beyond the people of Israel and in fact goes out to all corners of the world. So you and I are part of that chosen race, the royal priesthood, the people, the nation that God has made his own. And that we are the ones in Christ, we are the ones um, for whom God has gone to battle already, that the battle is won against sin and death, and that is the only battle that matters. And too often we sacrifice the winnings of that battle in, in a way that we can be... Uh, better off in this life, right? With wealth, pleasure, power, and honor. I'm trying to pull up something right now, and I forgot to do it later. I mean earlier, sorry. Da, 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 da. Um, okay, I found a post on Facebook this afternoon um, by a guy that I follow who's a kind of literary critic, and he, he had a post about... Um, Bishop Schneider's New Credo Catechism, which is a whole other topic in itself, but um, he, he, he says this, that the book needs a careful review and respectful critique, one that recognizes the problems it tries to address. I say that even though I often disagree with how it goes about addressing them. But then he says this, I hope respectful, critical engagement happens, but I suspect more likely the book will become one more weapon in the ecclesiastical social media wars over who's right about rejecting Vatican II, who's right about Pope Francis, rejecting uh, Pope Francis, rejecting religious liberty, human fraternity, human dignity, Cardinal Sarah, and the seemingly endless stream of other controversies. Frankly, he says, I'm just fed up with the whole business. I'm disappointed that so many people who seem as if they should be able to have a grown-up Catholic conversation won't. Score your points, pro and con. Cheer, jeer, fear, smear senselessly as you please. Settle past scores, repay for past hurts, work through your family disagreements on social media. Just add this to the long list of things so many highly public Catholics can't talk about in reasonable ways. Add this to the pile of self-justifying items for how I misbehave on social media for Jesus and his church. Now, off to something more worthwhile, cutting the grass. I love that, because that is exactly, uh, it's, it's a snapshot of one way in which a lot of us throw away the winnings of the kingdom. It's a way in which a lot of us kind of put our too much in the Caesar basket and not enough in the God basket, so to speak, that we prefer to use the language of the kingdom of God, but actually what we're doing is we are endorsing this kingdom. We're going about our love of the kingdom of God in a way that says, actually, we're really just the same thing in as the kingdom of the world, but instead of talking about welfare or 
salaries or healthcare or whatever. We're talking about highfalutin theological topics, thinking that it's making us holy, or thinking that because I'm versed in theological topics, it means I am a cho- I'm choosing to live even now in the kingdom of God. But that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. And it's a reason that the kingdom of God looks unappealing to a lot of people. And it's a reason why uh, the wealth, pleasure, power, and honor that those saintly kings and queens rejected in the name of a bigger kingdom, it's a reason that the wealth, pleasure, power, honor of the world look attractive to a lot of people, is because the same ones who say, yes, come to Christ, he will save you, he's the one you seek when you dream of happiness, blah, 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 they don't, they don't live it, and they don't act like it's, it's made them any different. Anyway, kind of going on and on now, but I, I just want to throw that out there as a way, maybe, of engaging with this gospel. So like, what's the point of human worldly, earthly leadership? Is it bad to have it? No, of course not. Is it bad that we pay taxes? No, that's just, it's just to pay taxes. Um, However, however, we are called to live in a way that says the kingdom of Caesar serves an end. The kingdom of Caesar serves an end. And Caesar ought to be working toward that end and helping his people get toward that end. And the end, of course, is the kingdom of God. So read some Plato, read his Republic, (laughs) learn about what his vision of leadership is. um, And go check out the Substack, pilgrimsprologue.substack.com, and feel free to subscribe. And also check out the FIO app, because I think you'll find a lot of good content there. And if you find a podcast to replace Love Speaks, don't tell me about it. Have a good week, everyone.